Yes, hello. It's Jason Louv. This is the Ultra Culture Podcast, and we have an awesome episode ahead on Middle Eastern esotericism. We're going to talk about Sufism and the cult of Inanna. Very exciting. But first, and I just wanted to ask you, why are you learning magic? Why are you absolutely taking control of your reality? And why is learning this material more important than it ever has been before now, right now, November 2021? So if you're still with me here, listen, if you're like me, you're probably bummed about the state of the world. Things are not great. And it's frankly getting easier to feel trapped, stuck and powerless than it ever has before. So let me just directly and bluntly ask you a question. Do you feel stuck? Do you feel like maybe the dreams you had for your life are vanishing before your very eyes? Maybe that life hasn't turned out to be the great adventure that you were promised. Or maybe actually everything's going great for you on the outside. Maybe you've already got the success you were looking for, but inside you feel empty and you're asking yourself, Is this all there is? Is this the best life gets? Or, like most of us, are you getting increasingly terrified of the world's situation and feeling in serious need of radical, practical empowerment right now? Wherever you're coming from, you're feeling that way because of one very simple reason. You are missing a piece. The piece is spiritual empowerment. And I'm not talking BS spirituality. This is not feel-good aphorisms and incense smoke and comforting lies and affirmations and all of that. No, you're missing out on what every single human being on earth needs more than anything. A real, potent, self-forged, operational connection to the infinite, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it. The absolute empowerment of knowing exactly who you are and what you were made for, and having the tools and skills necessary to manifest that purpose into the world. Without that connection, I don't care who you are, you're going to sink. You're going to fail. The color will slowly drain from your life. Your successes are not going to last because they'll be built on shifting sands instead of the truth of who you really are. This is exactly why people drift through life, constantly changing careers, or changing partners, never truly planting a flag in the ground and having the courage and conviction to become who they truly are. On the other hand, with that connection, there's literally nothing that you cannot do. It's people with that connection that take the risks that change everything for the world, who bring the inventions and businesses and artistic creations to the world that everyone else was afraid to try or who make a moral stand that changes history forever. Or even who simply show up as the absolute best version of themselves possible. The very best parent, the very best at their job, the absolute best at whatever life throws at them. So frankly, it doesn't really matter what's going on in the world. Yes, it's bad out there. Very bad. But we can't let that become an excuse to fail. Some of the greatest triumphs and successes of humanity 
the ones we all remember, have come from people who turned a situation around or created something new, some business, some artistic creation, some invention, some humanitarian effort in the face of absolute adversity. Isn't that right? Now, it's all well and good to hear that. These are all nice words to think about, but high ideals and platitudes will get you nowhere. What you need is a system, a step-by-step guided course of instruction to get you from point A to point B, to get you from feeling powerless to feeling absolutely powerful, empowered to live the life you know you were born to live. And at magic.me, my online school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, that step-by-step system is exactly what I'm offering. At magic.me, you'll get the structured, practical system you've been looking for, the one that guides you every step of the way to mastering magic, meditation, and mysticism. And what that means is that you'll unlock the code that makes all of that confusing material you've probably seen in books and on the web come clear and show you the master key, the pattern that brings it all together. And what that really means is that you'll get all the practical tools you need to absolutely supercharge your life and manifest your dreams into reality. You'll also get the chance you've been looking for to truly go deep and reintegrate yourself to do deep cleaning, heal old wounds, get clear on who you really are, and get clear on where you're going. And then you'll get the tools to manifest that destiny. And what that means is that you'll go from being scattered and confused to having a singular unified will. And what that really means is that the blocks to your success, the things manifesting in your life as self-sabotage will fall away, allowing you to become the empowered hero that you know you are. And most pressingly of all, you'll get the tools to navigate the future because things are getting intense. They're getting kind of scary. A new year's coming and a new decade is ahead of us. On one hand, we're going to be having a completely new world being born, a world of almost infinite possibilities, the world of Web 3.0, metaverse, artificial intelligence, blockchain, virtual reality, where every aspect of our existence will be shaken up and changed seemingly overnight. And those who are able to adapt to that, to write it, will experience potentially limitless opportunities. And then there will be the have-nots, the ones who are increasingly stuck in the grind of life, whose lives are forever out of control. And there are indeed grim potential realities ahead of us, of further pandemic, of economic misery, maybe even war. So the question is, do you want to go into the future with a mind that is working for you or against you? Do you want to confront that future as a hero or with your head in the sand? Because the difference between those two things will literally be life and death. And the keys to mastering your mind are magic, meditation, and mysticism. Those have been the keys for thousands of years, and they will be the keys for thousands of years to come. And those are the keys waiting for you at magic.me right now. So let me assure you, there is nothing like magic.me anywhere else in the world. It's not just that there's no better magic or meditation school or app or anything like that. It's that there's literally nothing in the same class as this anywhere. Nowhere you can go to absolutely master both your spiritual and your material life in the way that we've set down here. These methods work. 
They have worked for people for thousands of years, and they will work for you. All you need to do is read the testimonials of the students who pass through the halls of magic.me to know the power of what lays before you. This is the absolute best of the best. So all you have to ask yourself is, what are you going to do with that power? And of course, here's the best part. Assuming you caught this podcast in time and you're listening to this prior to November 26th, this is Black Friday week. We've got some tremendous deals going through Black Friday, but you need to act fast because not only do these discounts go away after Black Friday, but we're going to be raising our prices site-wide very soon, which means that this is the last time that you will ever get prices this low. And not only that, but if you get subscriptions at the current prices, you'll be grandfathered in at those prices forever, even if we raise prices, assuming you don't unsubscribe. So you're good. So again, like I said at the beginning, the code for this sale is Black Friday 2021. One word, all caps, no spaces. 2021 is in numerals. Black Friday 2021. And you can use that during checkout to get the following deals. You can get a monthly subscription to the Magic.me core curriculum for 30% off the first month. That gives you access to literally all of our core level classes, which is over 15 at this point, on everything from chaos magic to meditation to tarot. You can also get $100 off either of our signature mega courses. That's the Adept Initiative or the Alchemy of Chaos, which are our epic mega trainings that will take you all the way from zero to 60 and work together as a one-two punch to get you to the destination as fast as possible. This is where you go if you're serious, if you don't want to just dip your toes in, if you are committed to putting in the work to getting there now. Or if you want to be one of the rare few, and this is not for everybody, but if you want to be one of the rare few that truly commit to pushing your training to the absolute limit, if you want to grab life by the horns now, and get everything you possibly can out of it, you can use the same code to take $300 off the complete Magic.me intensives. That's the already discounted bundle that includes the Adept Initiative, the Alchemy of Chaos, and the Fortuna working. Everything you need to 100% absolutely master your life spiritually, materially, and financially. That is the absolute best deal we have going right now, and nothing could possibly be more important right now. And P.S., you can also use the exact same code to take $100 off Bitcoin Insider, which is Magic.me's sister course, my masterclass training in Bitcoin, blockchain, and cryptocurrency. Rather pressing topics right now, which you can find at BitcoinInsider.io. It's also linked from the course list at Magic.me. So those are the deals, and the clock's ticking on them. But that said, I know what you're probably thinking. You might be thinking, Jason, that sounds absolutely amazing. I would love to take these classes, but bite inflation is hitting me super hard. Everything's more expensive now. Food's more expensive. Gas is more expensive. I got bills. I would love to, but I'm worried about money. I absolutely get it. And my response is, if that's what you're thinking, you absolutely cannot afford not to jump into these courses right now. That's why you absolutely need these courses because you're going to get the very skills you need to turn that situation around from real world financial mastery to full on magical workings designed to manifest massive wealth, the tools you need to not only survive, but absolutely thrive in this trying time are right there for you. 
and not to mention it's on sale while it lasts. You might also be thinking, I'm too busy to take courses. That's why Magic.me is designed in bite-sized units that you can take with you and take at your own pace, on your own schedule, on any device you own, from a desktop to a tablet to a phone. You can completely fit Magic.me to your schedule and let it become your daily companion that lifts you up and makes you the magician in control of your life. And of course, it goes without saying, as with everything I offer, after you jump into these courses, if for any reason you decide it's not for you, that's absolutely fine. Just contact us within the terms clearly listed on the course that you pick up and we'll refund 100% of your money. You have literally nothing to lose. So if you're on the fence, here's my best advice to you. Just do it. If you're listening to this right now, if you're a fan of this podcast, believe me, you're ready. Grab the courses you want while they're still on sale so you lock in the deal. And if you decide later that you're not for you, that's fine. At least you've got the option to have the deal. Of course, I'm this confident in offering this guarantee because I know for a fact that you're going to be very very happy with the courses at magic.me. Nobody ever takes me up on the refund, but of course it's there if you decide you want it. So act now because after Black Friday's over, you're never going to get these prices again. So go for it now while you still can, and I'll see you in class. All right. Have a happy holiday season, everybody. And here's the podcast. Talk to you soon. Hi, this is this is hopefully quick. I was just hoping to uh, to pick your brain a little bit about Sufism. It's not a course you offer, but I've heard you mention in podcasts that you've had at least some exposure to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the basics because I'm like a world religions junkie and if mm-hmm. like want to read something about everything. But do you have specific? Uh, if I wanted to take it that step further into actually trying things out do you have any specific recommendations books groups or specific things you don't recommend um there's nothing i don't recommend when it comes to sufism i've never had any negative experiences with it um i was an initiate and i still am of the nurashki jarahi turkish sufi order uh, in new york they're also they're big in turkey they're big in new york they're big in mexico and it was my primary practice for over a year um, yeah, it was very, very hardcore. And um, it's a beautiful path. Um, the only, I will say that the, the, only, the only point at which I diverged from the path is full conversion to Islam, which I was not willing to do. And um, maybe I should have been, I don't know. Maybe life would have been easier. <laughs> Um, I have a nothing but respect for, I, I, I see Islam as possibly the purest religion on the planet and, um, it is totalitarian in its demands. And I find that quite refreshing and it's very sim- simple and pure and clear. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, do I really want to take it that step further? Me personally, not at that time. Probably not ever. We'll see. Who knows? Um, but uh, Sufism, I'll say this. I was like, Sufism in America, I'm guessing you're American. Yeah. yeah. So Sufism in America is often part of, um, you know, it's been marketed as part of the smorgasbord of 
um, how do I put it, kind of uh, liberal humanist religions in the same way that Buddhism is kind of marketed. It's like, you know, it's kind of, it's like, uh, or yoga, things like this, where it's like, it's not considered that much of a, well, what am I trying to say? To the particularly liberals in America, there's a certain sense of like, oh, like wanting to explore and go into all different world religions. And they're very much marketed to that in, in that way where it's like, yeah, check out yoga, check out Buddhism. It's good for you. Check out Sufism. And it's like, it's almost like you could like pick it up in a magazine in the checkout lane at Whole Foods. Does this kind of make sense what I'm saying? Totally. There's no, very yes. much, like very much kind of like this Unitarian church approach to different religions. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, that's beautiful. And that speaks to how um, open Americans are and how much progress has been made in bringing world traditions to um, the West, right? So it's beautiful. There's a flip side of it, however, which is that at a certain point, these are distinct paths that make, past a certain point, you do have to be cut off from all other paths to make, you know, you do at some point, like, and with Sufism, at some point, you have to be a Muslim and not ecumenical, not a little, I'm not, I'm a Buddhist, yogi, Sufi, etc. That's true of all of these paths, right? It's true of Western magic as well. And um, so that's really my only caveat with it, which is that that barrier does exist. Um, and is something that will have to be reckoned with on the path of Sufism. So just something to think about ahead of time. For me, I was able to, you know, I, I, I basically did the practice heavily for a year until it was, well, you need to convert. If you're going to go further, you need to make full conversion to Islam. And I was too interested in yoga and magic and everything else to, you know, but it's the same story with many other things with me. You know, that's why I'm so all over the place, you know, cause I want to learn everything. And, um, but I mean, if you really, I mean, it's, that's true. It's true. It's true. Of all of these paths. So that's my only caveat with it. Um, I would certainly start with study of the Quran, obviously. And I, I guess, I guess my only point is, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that Sufism is often marketed as something that is distinct from Islam. Right. You very much so. It's marketed as, you know, just something that can be added as it's it's almost marketed as a non-religious practice. It's like or it's above religion, or you know, there's no higher religion than love, that type of thing. It's like beyond paths. Not true though. You know, it's like it's 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 a it is it is part of Islam. Um right. and Buddhism's it, marketed the same the same way as this absolutely. like non, you know. That's like forget, like pretending it doesn't have history and cultural baggage and the whole thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. There's a writer named David Chapman who writes about Buddhism a lot. He calls this consensus Buddhism. And he <laughs> says, basically he says, like, look, political decisions were made by people like the Dalai Lama and Pima Chodron and things like that. That um, to as their marketing decisions, right, to to make sure the religions survive in the West. I mean, cause it's a much easier sell to Western people to say like, Oh, Buddhism is about being a good person and, and not being mean. 
rather than to start talking about, like we were talking about at the beginning of the call, it's like you look at the Bardo at all and it's just like, you know, within the 14th layer of the astral, you will meet horse-headed demons who tear you apart with hooks. You know, like that's in there. I'm not making that up. You know, it's just like, <laughs> that's a bit of a harder sell to like Sharon in the minivan. You know what I mean? So, um, so, so these are political and marketing decisions that have been made because in many cases, America is perhaps the last hope for the survival of many of these traditions. And, um, but at the same time, absolutely, they have their own history. There is a right and wrong way to do them. There's dogma, there's conflicts with other religions. Yeah, it does sound like Hellraiser. Yeah, <laughs> for, for real. Um, and um, so I think as a sincere seeker into world religions like you are, it's like, yeah, I mean, you just kind of have to like balance those two things in your mind. It's kind of like there's the marketing approach where they're trying to, get their, you know, as the Buddhists say, you know, uh, skillful means, right? Where they're trying to like get more people on board and, you know, usually the way that religions get people on board is, oh, you know, be a good person, be less stressed, <laughs> some variation of that, love more, you know, and they market it as Christianity, basically. And um, then there's the, the, the historical academic reality of the tradition as it actually is and as it's practiced in its home country. So a good, a good example is Hinduism, right? I haven't spent, the only time I've spent in Middle Eastern countries is in airports. So I don't, I don't have firsthand experience over there, but I do have a lot of firsthand experience in India, right? And it's interesting. It's like you go to like Hindu, Hindu spiritual stuff here in the West and it's like Ramdas and, you know, like Ama, and like, it's like this big hippie Woodstock love-in, <laughs> right? And often the gurus are white not Amma, but like Ramdas, for instance, it's like, you know, you know, or they're, they're, uh, uh, very often, um, come from a reformed Judaism background. Right. And then, and then, but now they're a Hindu guru and things like this is the same in Buddhism. And then you go over to India and it's just like totally different or not even go to India, go to Hindu temples that actual Hindu people go to, and they're doing statue practice, you know, doing offerings to statues. And it has like zero to do with like Russell Brand style white people in Hinduism. There's like zero overlap, right? Let alone if you go to the country. So that's something to be aware of. And, and I think Sufism, um, perhaps, you know, not totally uniquely, but uniquely to some extent, is in a weird getting it from both sides per um, position, where in it's not accepted in the West because it's well, in the West, it's seen as Islam, right? And not as much now, but definitely post 9-11. I mean, I was a Sufi like post 9-11. And the temple that I went to was like a walk, walking distance from ground zero. <laughs> Just happened, right? So there was always a sense when I was, you know, doing, and I was praying to Mecca and going down and all this and doing beads and it was full on Islam. And, and, uh, it was, you know, the like 17th century raver, like plur version of Islam, but still Islam. Right. So there was always a sense. It's like the NYPD could kick in the door and we could all be end up in a fucking detention facility being grilled by Homeland security. There was always that sense. It was very frightening. Right. 
I don't think that would be the case now. But post 9-11, it absolutely was. Right. But there was, interestingly enough, just from a cultural perspective, in the Muslim world, Sufism is considered heretical. It's not considered Islam. So here it's Islam. It's too weird. It's too Islam. There, it's not. It's a heresy. It's not Islam enough. ISIS was killing Sufis. Right. And we had an interesting, interesting experience in the, the mosque where hardcore, Islam, hardcore Muslims, like conservative Orthodox Muslims, would come in and try to start shit and be like, because there was a female Sheikha. It was full of white people. It was full of Jewish people. You can imagine how Orthodox Muslims were seeing that. You know, they're like walking into what it's to all intents and purposes is like an NPR, like supporters circle, <laughs> you know, and they're just like, you, you, how dare you? You know, they're going, this is haram. How dare you? And like, there was all, always a sense that it's like, you know, the NYPD could kick in the door, Homeland Security could kick in the door, or Orthodox Muslims could kick in the door <laughs> and start shooting the place up. I mean, it was, in, it was tense, right? So Sufism is always, you know, is definitely in that caught in that double bind, I think. I don't know if that's helpful or if I'm just rambling, but... <laughs> no, that is. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful tradition. It's a fascinating tradition. It underlies, by the way, it also underlies the Western magical tradition because in, in theory, the, the Knights Templar, what, what the Knights Templar brought back, the Knights Templar, to some extent, are, are a parent source of the Western magical tradition. And the whole thing about them bringing back Baphomet is hilarious because Baphomet was a misspelling of Mahomet, which is Muhammad. Mm -hmm. So basically what the, what the Knights Templar brought back was Sufism and Islam. And it ended up inspiring um, the troubadours who were the, you know, sang about. So the whole, we may owe the whole concept of conjugal love to Sufism. I don't think it actually existed in Western culture prior to that because the whole idea of love is like between a man and a woman other than some contractual thing as like this court, this whole courtly love idea. Like she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That type of thing. <laughs> that wasn't in that. That's an import from Islam. Believe it or not, it was brought in by the troubadours and became part of the whole like courtly experience and you know, like all those dances between kings and queens and things like that. And it was for the upper classes, right? But then it became for everyone. So we owe a lot. I mean, we owe the concept of zero to Islam. We owe the concept of, we owe algebra to Islam. We owe caffeine to Islam. We owe the whole idea of love to Islam, right? And to some extent, we owe the Western esoteric tradition to Islam. And certainly alchemy was practiced hardcore in the Islamic world during the, the end, end of the first millennium and beginning of the second. And the whole importation of alchemy, which they got from India, just like most of all of these practices go back to India. Um, but we, you know, they were practicing and honing and doing art and planetary magic and all of that. We got that from the Middle East. So um, if you look close enough, these traditions are all part of one larger thing. But in their manifestations, the details do matter. The politics do matter day to day. I don't know. I don't know if that's what you're asking or not. But. No, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, but I have nothing negative to say about Sufism. I think just you know, research what you can. Um, the, the, the the writer that people usually read about Sufism is Idris Shah, 
who wrote in the 60s, and he is probably not an academically good source because he was just kind of ranting off the top of his head and he, he didn't, you know, there's much, probably much better academic sources, you know. Yes, hello. Hey, Jason, this is my first uh, time on Office Hours, so grateful to be talking with you. Um, I will, uh, I'll give the brief caveat just that I'm, I'm relatively new to magic. I've been practicing um, since about May when uh, magic revealed itself to me completely unexpectedly. Um, but anyway, so over the course of that time, yeah, just been doing, uh, trying to go very slow and steady and stay with um, banishing and invoking rituals and just learn them really well and get in a good rhythm and be really consistent. And um, but something that occurred that was just uh, that I've tried to do research um, carefully online. I just mean carefully, like having discernment and come to my own conclusion, but didn't didn't actually find much on this topic, which is um, I had a very poignant dream in which Ishtar revealed herself to me. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know in the course of my life, like I didn't know who, what Ishtar was. I thought Ishtar was a movie with Warren Beatty and <laughs> Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> you know? It's yeah. like, so, so I definitely didn't call upon her. I didn't any of that, but it's like clear as a bell, uh, Ishtar, as well as a, um, blue faced man figure, um, that looked fairly Egyptian or, or Babylonian perhaps, but, um, so I, I spent some time just like meditating upon almost like making a careful inquiry into, okay, like Ishtar, why are you in touch with me? Like truly just sitting quietly and like thinking about it, meditating upon it. And I can't express how quickly very um, like sexual energy came up, mm -hmm. which I was not expecting. Like, um, yeah, just like big bombastic, lustful, uh, it it felt um honestly it felt a little dangerous or like like a trap kind of like a negative energy and so i've just sort of left that as it is and i'm not the sort of person who's had a lot of experiences like that in in my life so just curious on your take like who is ishtar and why would she be showing up in a dream uh, ishtar is simple to the entire uh, tradition do you have a book four by crowley I have not read it, no. Have you, have you seen it, the big blue one? Uh, no, huh? Have you ever seen a copy? No. Okay, well, if you take off the dust jacket, there's a sigil of Ishtar right there. Okay. Um, Ishtar, Inanna, Ishtar is Babylon. Right? Babylon, Nuit, right? The sacred, the the goddess uh, Ishtar, so tradition, so if, if I'm correct, Ishtar in Babylonian originally Sumerian, but Ishtarian Babylonian um, mythology uh, is the temple prostitute, sacred prostitute, right? As a sacred duty, very similar to the, and the later version of that is the Oracle of Delphi in Greece. Um, uh, but you, in history books, at least it's said, or, or once you get in school, it says the Oracle of Delphi, that's a non-sexual role. Whether it was or not, and I suspect it was, the earlier version was absolutely sexual. Um, there's a good version of this in the movie The Last Temptation of Christ, the Martin Scorsese one, uh, where mm -hmm. Mary, where he goes to see Mary Magdalene, and he's waiting, 
where he's Jesus is waiting in the outer part of the temple. And there's like a line of like 20, 20 men waiting to go in. And then he ta talks to her afterwards. So, um, and it's, it's to the T, right? It's like the, it's any, particularly any fellow who watches that movie can't, can't miss it. So, um, Ishtar, Inanna, Babylon, maybe Kali, right? Like this is the personification of Bina. It is the ultimate uh, conception of the feminine, but complete, right? Or another aspect, the aspect that the, the Catholic church uh, has, has done so much to uh, erase, right? The Virgin Mary, right? So it's, it's the opposite, the flip side of the Virgin Mary. And there's been a lot of feminist scholarship saying like, you know, like feminists really dislike the idea that there's a virgin whore split, as they call it, right? A virgin whore complex. And that these are, are siloed into different roles, right? So I think this has been quite a good, um, uh, a quite, uh, you know, a really good target of feminist critique where it's like, you know, like imagine like, imagine if they did that for men, for instance, what would that be like? Right? It's like, it's like, it's almost impossible to conceptualize, right? Because uh, with men, like sexual power is so much tied in with your public persona, you know, whether we describe it that, that way or not, it's, it's tied up in language of even from when you were a kid, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, were you a man today? Like, you know, so, um, so there's a lot of interesting things there to think about. And a lot of people have, I think, particularly in the last couple of decades, but, um, historically speaking, not not speaking in the, the current period of scholarship um, and critique, but historically speaking, uh, yes, the the Ishtar is the uh, sacred temple prostitute, and so so the experience, one of the the experiences that is pointed to there is the nature of sexual revelation, and this is the, one of the whole critical points of sexual magic. Right, which is that um, sexuality is a medium of transmission between the divine and man. Right, there is no doubt about that, no doubt whatsoever. Um, it is one of the best ones, right? potentially the best one. But there's a lot of them, right? And so the and and but as you might imagine, it is a very culturally tricky one. And one of the reasons I believe, this is my own conjecture, um, the reason why sexuality for most people is not experienced, this is a really critical point, the reason why sexuality for most people is not experienced as a deep communion with the divine actually turns out to be real simple. It has nothing to do with, oh, they're not a high enough initiate. They don't know the right techniques. Like you look at these books on Tantra and they're all about like, oh, like all these like, you know, weird reading exercises and stuff like that. Um, it, 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 it has a lot to do with the person has to be a spiritual practitioner, right? Obviously. Right. But um, it actually, I think, I suspect it's similar to what I was talking about in the last question about social isolation, right? When you're in a city where everyone knows you, they expect you to be a certain people, person, and there's tons of rules. And our society in general put whether, you know, puts all kinds of rules, expectations, boundaries, and matrices on sexuality, right? It's the primary thing that all, all cultures do. Unless 
you are experiencing sexuality in the context of anonymity or somewhere where nobody knows who you are and there's no expectation other than money, that turns out to actually be pretty important mm. because that removes all the other expectations. Now, please understand me clearly. I am only explaining mechanics of a certain thing. I'm not recommending any type of specific practice, or I'm not telling anyone to do anything, or I'm not saying actually anything other than just explaining how, how many cultures have, why this has been important for many cultures throughout history, right? Um, the people wear masks. It's that simple. People wear masks all the time in everything they do, in their job, in their relationship, with their kids, with their parents, with themselves, online, right? Everything's a mask. To understand who you, to, to understand truth, or rather to contact um, viscerally with reality requires you to drop the mask. And that is very scary for people. Mm -hmm. uh, and in some cases, rightly so. So, Humanity has developed certain methods and ways to allow people to temporarily drop their masks. One of them is ritual magic, right? Uh, in the sense that you put on a robe, you do these rituals, and then, man, for about 15 minutes, you can go really crazy. But hey, that was just a ritual, right? That's not me. Oh, I must have been possessed by something. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what, is, what is magic really? Uh, what what is any ritual and by ritual i don't just mean magic i mean sports rituals uh war in a sense is a way in which um societies allow people to drop the mask right but it's done in a ritual context where people go off to war and there's all these signs and symbols and rah 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 and they have ranks and grades and they go off and there's rules and then but then they're up front stabbing people to death and fucking try to put any, any ideology on that. You know, like I just watched the whole uh, Ken Burns Vietnam War documentary. Like, Jesus, watch that sometime if you really want to be bummed out for 12 hours. Uh, a great documentary, though. Um, prostitution is another one in the sense that there's a... And, and the ancient world understood this more openly. It's not that our culture doesn't understand it, because we clearly do. It's just that it wasn't hidden. Um, and I think one of the things that, one of the points that, um, there are so many, there are so many, uh, um, enlightened or very, very spiritually aware, um, um, prostitutes, right. Or escorts. There's so many. And, um, they're constantly, you know, it's like, I've, I've said to people a few times that, um, if you really, if you really want to know the truth about the world like you should ask um journalists real journalists not the fake ones of which is 99.999 percent uh and prostitutes right because prostitutes deal all day long with people with the mask off so they know what's really going on right which is nothing this whole fucking civilization is 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 like a pantomime like like it's, it's like kids playing with toy soldiers it's so it's just bullshit. It's all fucking bullshit. It's people who are playing roles who forgot they're playing roles, right? And 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 sex workers understand that very well because they have to deal with, I don't know, Eric Garcetti. I'm just picking a name out of a hat. It's not. I'm not. It's not slander. I'm just picking a name out of a hat. 
you know, like crying, uh, 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 you know, and asking to be held like a baby for three hours, you know, it's like, it's just, you know, it's, it's just, it's, 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 it is what it is. So, but this is a sacred function, right? It's, um, the point of Bina is Bina, the ultimate divine feminine. Bina accepts everyone regardless. That is, so it is the nature of compassion to accept everyone. Um, and that is the, the nature of the feminine in its highest register. It's only human beings that say this or that is, is good or bad. It's only human beings that say things are dirty or clean. It's not God. God, right? It's not, you know, there's nothing unclean in existence. It is only human beings that make mental differentiations between things. And all of it has to do purely with um, the, the, the tr local tribal rules of whatever society they happen to be in. It has nothing to do with ultimate truth. And so for that reason, antinomianism or breakdown of breaking of rules is really important in the magical path. I'm not recommending anything. I'm not saying anything. But one of the reasons why you see antinomianism in spiritual paths throughout a lot of world cultures is when the rules of a civilization are broken, not in a way that hurts anyone, when the rules of civilization are broken, um, there's a release of energy and a wider perception of, the, of what may or not be true. Uh, it's the same with the psychedelic experience. All of a sudden, the walls come tumbling down, and you realize that actually you're playing a role and you're playing a game, and and this person is just largely constructed. So, um, this is these are some of the things about the role Anana or Anana, Babylon, uh, Shakti, uh, Ishtar, uh, but. Uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to find out about it from books. I mean, this is no, this is nothing. Um, it's not ancient. Let me put it that way. This is an eternal aspect of humanity. Uh, it, it's it, this has never this has never gone away, um, and uh, it's absolutely part of the magical path. So, in, in a sense, I think that the um, there's a general principle at work here which is that how do I put it? What are we talking about at root, right? Let's, let's just discard the, all the language and magic and gods and pentagrams and things like that. A person doing the types of things that we're talking about in these courses is seeking to um, gain wider knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Right? They, they want to know for themselves. Uh, but it's not just that they want to know things that other people don't know, because those people become academics. Right? Or journalists or whatever, right? Like there's tons of people who specialize in knowing information that other people don't know. So it's not about information. What we're talking about is people who we're talking about expanding one's energy and having experiences that other people don't know are even possible. But even that is not the issue. The issue is expansion of energy outward, right? I want to fully express and expand my being without restriction or boundary. 
not in a destructive way, but in just, I wish to experience myself, right? Uh, you know, what is the, the every creation in, in history or in, in world history has said that, you know, it's like God, God creates existence to experience himself, herself, itself. You know, it's like this is the whole, the whole universe is, is, is just the universe experiencing itself. So it wishes to fully do so by fully expanding and to expand yourself, to understand yourself, um, we, we put ourselves through so many crazy experiences. Um, you know, people will go to war to experience themselves. They'll go through an abusive relationship to experience themselves. They'll go through um, the building and collapse of a, of, of some fortune 500 company to experience something about themselves and that's their life and that their, their understanding. And, um, but it's full contact. That's the only way you learn either with magic or with life is it's full contact with, with existence. So Crowley says at one point, the formula, you know, there's Babylon, uh, Babylon is Crowley's conception of it, or it's actually John D's conception of the same, the same, whatever we want to call this. Um, you know, Crowley says there's the goddess Babylon, like the anthropomorphized uh, goddess. There's also the formula of Babylon, which is the magical formula. And the formula of Babylon is to accept all experiences, regardless of what they are, 100% of the time. But that's the formula of Babylon. And then that is, you are, in a sense, the whore. In the sense that you turn nothing away, you accept everything. Because it's all, and this is undertaken at a higher register of magic, because it's all divine. In the same sense, the non-dual tantrics in India or, or in Buddhism uh, make a big point of this also in the sense that they, you know, the Agoris live in graveyards, right? Or they eat trash or feces or, or rotting fl human flesh, you know? <laughs> I've got some story. I got some fun stories about that. So, um, uh, <laughs> which I probably shouldn't mention online, but, um, but the point is, is because there's no difference. You know, Jen, Jen used to put it so well. Jen called this just the path of no distinction. The path of no distinction, right? There's no, there's no difference between anything. And that's the truth. You know, it's, that's the truth. Um, but, but um, you know, people get into such a tizzy trying to become something that they're not. And it just becomes another mask. You know, it's like, oh, I'm the greatest, highest level. I'm so spiritual. I'm so conscious. I have all the white robes. I'm do doing all this work on myself. I fucking hate that phrase, right? I'm doing so much work on myself. I'm so, having so many breakthroughs, bro. Oh, you know, um, while chugging alpha brain. Um, and uh, nothing, I like alpha brain. Yeah, I've um, been that guy for, you know, I was that guy for a time too. I love so. that guy. I want to meet that guy. He seems, I'm sure I have a great conversation with him. Um, I didn't mean Aubrey Marcus specifically. I just meant it's it's become such a, it's such an archetype in our culture right now. It's just the kind of like the, 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 uh, my, 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 the kind of Rogan approach, my brother refers to this as, as advanced bros, which is pretty good, but, yeah. um, but it's wearing a mask. It's like, you know, it's not just that. I mean, so many people in spirituality do this. This is spiritual materialism. This is what Shogun Funkbook pointed out. It's like, you're just doing the same shit, man. 
you're trying to get the job, you're trying to get the promotion, you're trying to get all this stuff. You're just doing it in the spiritual world. You're trying to collect all the experiences. And um, that's fun for a while, but then you realize, well, but this is this is just a game also. Um, hopefully I'm not just being incoherent at this point, but or, or getting off off point. But I think that um, obviously the fact that you've had this dream is, 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 um, I hate to use the phrase correct, but there are certain things that occur along the magical path where they are, it's just a clear indication that, um, you're in the, in the current, the magical current, yeah. right? Which is like Ishtar, you can literally go, and it's not just me. You can literally go talk to any Thelemite and tell them this stuff and they'll be like, oh yeah, this, that, and, that, and then, mm-hmm. you know, so so, and it, you know, why did these things happen? Fuck if I know, but it is very encouraging in the sense that it's like, wow, we're actually dealing with something um, tangible, mapped and understandable here to some extent. Yeah. Right? There is a territory. And this is why I'm, as I said earlier, it's why I, I can be such a stickler about, uh, I'm a real stickler about the rules when we're talking about things that have rules. And when we're talking about things that don't have rules, then I'm not. But there is, a, this is, you know, I've very much made the point to people, I think, that when we talk about magic, if you want to be technically specific, we're talking about the Western magical tradition. And the Western magical tradition is a concrete thing with a history, with map stepped, steps, with stages, with specific practices that need to be done, which will get you specific results. And um, in a sense, the entire thing proceeds from what we might call Ishtar or Babylon. Yeah. Or the fact that you would start doing what you're just doing, pentagram rituals. Yeah. Uh, and, and middle pillar as well. Yeah. But other so, and that, then you're like, having dreams about Ishtar. Well, you know, welcome to the current. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Thank you for that answer. And that is encouraging. Um, I, one of the, I'll just say briefly, one of the sort of conclusions I came to was that I was specifically presented with a sort of sexual energy because that is one of the pieces of myself that needs to be um, addressed or or more like the assumptions that I was raised with that I don't even believe anymore, but that are so deeply embedded in my programming that it, and you know, the universe or whatever it is, was like, here's a big sexual symbol that's a facet of you that needs to be dealt with. And, yeah. and it's, it's going to scare you a little bit. And it did, it did scare me a little bit. I think so. that's such a, that's such a, um, apt way to put it. Right. Like totally. Right. And, 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 um, um, uh, that that's, it's I, I'm not sure I can add anything to that other than that. I agree. That seems to be how things go. I mean, that's, you know, that's how it went for Dean Kelly too. Mm-hmm. Right. And certainly for Crowley in his own way. Uh, but I think that, um, yeah, I mean, it's like sexuality is how we, we come to understand who we are. Mm. Right? It, it is, there's no, like people talk about sex magic. Okay. Like here's the dirty, <laughs> the, the dirty clean secret. There's no difference between sex and magic. And there's really no difference between sex and your, your life in the sense that your, your sex life to an extent is who you are. Um, now, I obviously don't teach some type of sex magic course online because you can see how that could just totally go fucking sideways in our current internet, mm. right? For many reasons. 
Um, and it's also none of my business. Like, like literally it is other people's sex lives are literally none of my business period ever. Right. But, um, I will give general and, and, and that's totally true in the sense that, you know, in the book of the law, it says, take your fill of love where, when, and with whom ye will. Right. As long as, as, as long as, as it is unto me and unto me is to new eat, which is another aspect of Ishtar. And, um, the point being is it's like, you know, the, the religions of the last 2000 years have made such a, they've broken people. It's like, there's, there's, it's not just that there's a relationship between imperialism, colonialism and, and, um, the suppression of sexuality. It's just they're the same thing that, uh, and it's not necessarily even in a bad sense in it, in a sense that like people knock sexual repression but uh, take it from somebody who was descended from Puritans, sexually repressed people can get a lot done. That's mm. why that's why the Protestant culture took over the entire planet within the space of like a hundred years or two hundred years or something like that. Like the 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 Anglo-American Empire, right? It's like there was the total original like, NoFap guys. What? They were the original NoFap guys. Yeah, NoFap exactly. <laughs> right, such as the power of our NoFap, but 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 taken as an as a undertaken as a way to gather power, the Jesuits are the same. So it's not like sexual repression is bad, even if it's undertaken consciously, uh, control of other people is what's bad. Right. And so, and I, and the counterpoint is also true in the sense that sexual, you know, forced unrepression is also very bad because one of the things that, uh, Marxism, the, the one of the things that, um, the Marxists attempted to do after the first few waves of, of Marxism, was uh, the the sexual revolution among the working class, right? Wilhelm Reich was part of that. And the idea that if all the sexual barriers were broken down in the working class, then the working class would attain the class consciousness and therefore um, have a sense of itself as a fighting unit similar to the Spartans, right? And that they were all, the Spartan warriors were all having homosexual uh, uh, affairs with each other, essentially. So, so in the same way, the Marxists thought, that if the working class broke down the sexual barriers, then they would become uh, unified and attain to class consciousness and overthrow the, the higher classes. Um, in practice, um, we ended up with the civilization that we have now, which is just um, sexually destroyed in so many ways. The, the, the natural thing is, you know, we have, we have the, the equivalent of like, you know, you go to the store and buy food and it's not, it's like fucking like, what is it? It's like genetically engineered powder that constitutes into some fucking thing. That's not even food. Like that's what we have now, but it's like, so it seems like there's no taboos and you know, everything's available. You can do whatever you want, but people are more sexually repressed than ever because sexual non-repression is as Wilhelm Reich defined it is, is people misunderstood him thinking that sexual repression was a lack of having sex totally wrong because you can be uh, uh compulsively sexual and still be totally out of touch with who you are yeah. obviously right obviously so so that's not the thing what reich's point was sexual that orgy or, he called it orgiastic potency you know true sexual self-understanding release etc is being able to surrender to orgasm And doing that means attaining to a level of self-acceptance and understanding and uh, satisfaction. 
but it's not, has nothing to do with, you know, he, Reich was anti-pornography. He was, you know, it's like, uh, it has nothing to do with the sexual over compulsive, the sexual compulsiveness that has been forced on, on Western culture since the 1960s as just another ad campaign hmm. of something that is totally personal. It's a colonization of sexuality. It's not some release of the sexual revolution is a colonization of sexuality. It wasn't some release of anyways. So, um, at least after the original, you know, after the, when it became commercialized. So, um, in Topi, right. It's like the, the sigil of three liquids was so good in Topi. The first thing that we, that's in the psychic Bible, you know, the first thing in Topi was the first magic that you did was that you would write out your ultimate sexual fantasy. Only you, and you wouldn't show it to anyone. It was totally personal. Right. But you would write it out and you'd really have to think about it, write it out in detail. And you would go over it again and again and again until you get all the details right. And you would really think through it like, well, what do I want? Do I really want that? Why do I want that? What does that mean? Like, is that really what, what if, could I, is that really what, like, what maybe something else would be better? Or like, you really have to uh, have that frank conversation with yourself. And then you do that once you have a perfect, which can take a while. Um, then you do the magic to charge it into reality, and it usually happens right away, right? And then, and the next thing that you do is you think, well, who do I want to be after you get through that? And it's the same. I mean, it's like, like um, sexuality is the most is the strongest force in any human being, and if you want to liberate yourself, that's the first place, first and last place to look, you know. Like, forget this. We're, I'm, I teach practically, okay? It's like this whole thing about you got to know yourself by following all these rules and doing doing all these rituals, being a holy person and all this stuff. That's horseshit, okay? That's, if you want that, join the Catholic Church, right? It's, it's, it's show. It's a mask. Anything that you do to put on a mask of being something that you're not. I think the goal of magic this is ties into my the first answer you know the whole thing about like divine divinity manifesting from above well i think that the goal is not to get to something else i mean that already presumes that you want to be somewhere that you're not i think the goal of magic is simply to become more human right i don't even like the word spirituality what am i fucking casper you know like i think humanity just call it humanity i mean it sounds fucking black but like whatever. I mean, that would be a better word. It's because it's not about being something that you're not. It's about becoming who you are. It's becoming about becoming more human uh, and present and real and not fucking wrapped up in these abstractions and things like this. And, and, and a big part of becoming who you are is not giving a fuck anymore. Not in mm -hmm. some performative manosphere bullshit way, but just like understanding who you are and knowing what you want and being cool with it. And that's tricky. I mean, you know, I'm saying, oh, that always has to be negotiated with society as well. Mm. You know, because I think that, that, you know, it's like, you know, and it's not so straightforward either because like for most, most dudes would be like, oh, well, like, yeah, I want to be like fucking, you know, George Clooney and like, like, you know, have like 80 girlfriends like every week and all this shit. And it's like, well, you know, sure, you can do that for a while, but then you find out it's like total chaos and stress, nightmare, you know? And and then, you know, like, it, it, 
you have to ask yourself what you really want, right? That's all it is. What do you really want? That's all it is because because if what you what you want will always require something else to be sacrificed as well. You know, and, and in a sense, it's like this is, you know, sexual repression um, can also be very important in the sense that civilization is not possible without it. It's just not right. Because if the, if if we didn't have the executive function to not constantly be giving into our animal um, impulses, it, this would it would just be people fucking like shooting each other. I mean, there wouldn't be any civilization. So the, I don't, I, this is a ramble, but I think that the, I'll wrap up with this. I think hopefully this ties things together. Magic is about knowing who you are. It's about in a real way, not becoming what somebody else wants you to be, not becoming what some book on magic or writer on magic wants you to be. But really asking, having that conversation with yourself, like, who am I really? And what do I want in this limited life that I have? And that's really tough. And it's really painful too, right? Because to do that, you have to think, you just have to work through a lot. You have to think like, well, you know, why? You have to become very self-responsible. You have to think through what you don't want, the things in your life that, where you feel that you haven't um, been who you know you can be and why that was that's very painful right um but it's it's um it requires a lot of honesty and one of the incredible things about magic though is that you know brian geisen used the phrase temple of extreme experience I like that so much. Magic will guide you towards extreme experiences, experiences that will be so intense or so out of the blue that you won't know what the fuck is going on. And you will have to bring something out of yourself just to, you know, even if you, you end up, as I have many, many times, the occult path has led me into places that are just totally fucked. Like, like I could have died many times over, you know, like just, and um but my reaction to them and my under, my my sense of this is not what i want and then falling back on my core of what i do want is also a tremendous um um revelation of truth right hmm. so um but the temple of extreme experience that's another way to say temple initiation and the temple initiation is not the golden dawn temple and it's maybe not even the temple of ishtar right it's uh your life so i don't know beyond that i'm just gonna sound redundant and, and retarded so hopefully something in there is hopeful <laughs> yes yes thank you for that and I'll, yeah. uh, we yeah. just keep going i sure will right uh, on. thank you take care yeah I should rewatch that Warren Beatty movie though. We should have a movie night with that. That'd probably be pretty funny. It's supposed to be the worst movie. Have you seen it? It's supposed to be the worst movie of all time. It's not quite the worst of all time, but it it's just a, a very curious. It's bizarre that it even exists. Just a, a yeah, strange little movie, but fun in its own way. Fun for being. What is so bad about it? It was always on TV when I was a kid. Just really bad writing, and it's kind of split down. It doesn't know what it's trying to be. Um, there's comedic parts and there's like these folky singing songwriter parts, but it just, yeah, just bad writing. Um, yeah. 
with two with somehow two huge stars at the time. So, but. oh, it was always one star in the TV guide. I remember that when I was a kid. But they always had it on at like three in the morning, and I would always see it in the TV guide. I could never stay up that late. But uh, I would always be like, "What the hell is this movie?" And I was like seven. And I think don't they make fun of it in UHF that Weird Al movie? I don't recall, but that could be. Yeah, we should. We'll do the Magic Me movie night on the Discord. Right.